2: What you're about to hear is an episode that Eric and Xander recorded back in January 2021, early January, right after, that's it, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Many of you may have been wondering, why didn't Eric and Xander record an episode about the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol? And oh, dear listeners, we did. But at the time, we had some fairly credible reasons to wonder whether publishing this would be too risky for us physically, um, put us in too much danger. And so we decided that at the time that discretion was the better form of valor and that we would hold off and wait. You know, it's just a, obviously it's a very tough time and things haven't magically gotten better either. I think this is still relevant. I went back and listened to this and I decided this is still relevant. This is a very, you know, this episode is a very fresh, very hot take. It's emotional. It's hard. It, you know, you can hear it in our voices. And, uh, but I think it's very much worth sharing with the world. So I went and got Xander's permission to go ahead and put this one up. So um, you'll be hearing how he and I were thinking about it and talking about it and trying to take a reconsidering lens to, the insurrection of the capital back in early 2021. So without further ado, um, as much as you can, enjoy the show, and I hope you learn something from it.
3: Uh, welcome back, everyone, to Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we are podcasting to you post-siege of the United States Capitol. Uh, from last Wednesday it is Saturday the 9th Uh, so that's the information that we're dealing with here and before we get into it I know we say that a lot but we want to talk a little bit about what's changing for us because you know this is a watershed moment Uh, and we've we talked a little bit about these watershed moments over the past five years we've been together there have been a lot of them compared to you know uh, high, high frequency of them compared to me and Xander growing up but you know, what, what we realized back in 2014, uh, kind of before everyone else, you know, we always like pat ourselves in the back, oh, before it was cool, right? But, but you know, political scientists started to see like, hey, there's this dangerous breakdown uh, of all sorts of kind of cohesive structures for American political discourse and political uh, moderation going on in the country um and this is bad and it's trending and it's getting worse right and each year we talk about it we're like wow it's even worse look at that and um and so we wanted to you know at least be you know nothing is ever a silver bullet but we wanted to be a force for improving how different tribes political tribes communicate with each other and understand each other and um you know cuz we we saw potential dark roads from this breakdown Um, and it's of course been an asymmetric breakdown, but it's been a, it's been a system, system system-wide breakdown and uh, you know, and we just jumped off the cliff at the end of one of these dark roads uh, where political violence is being wielded openly by the president of the United States in order to not lose an election at the end of a, a months long campaign to stay in power despite losing the election and you know what just happened is something that we have been you know trying our little part to try to prevent and it's here so now
1: what and uh, we, we aren't really sure um you know we've always tried to provide context uh, which we define as the background you need to better understand a particular particular issue as well as trying to better understand why other people think the way they do about that same issue. And at, at times, I think this goal has maybe been um, – well, our goal has been to provide multiple perspectives, and this has often been, I think, misconstrued as both sidesism, um, but maybe sometimes it comes across that way. We have in the past – we did uh, explain our position on moral equivalency uh, with um, an episode of with Chris Martin from the Heterodox Academy. And my take on, on context is this. If you're going to try to really understand how you get to a point in history, you need to understand the root causes. And like we talked about on our last episode, tit-for-tat escalation has been occurring in the U.S. In the last 20 years. Um, but that in no way means that the actions taken by, quote, both sides are morally similar at all, just that the flagrance with which norms are being flouted has grown. So all of this is to say we want to be absolutely unequivoc- unequivoc- unequivocally clear. God, Jesus, I can pronounce words. That we are both condemning the insurrection that just happened and saying that there is no, moral equivalent, no morally equivalent action, not even close, that the Democratic Party has taken in this cycle of escalation. And since the folks who are very clearly willing to wield uh, violence in order to accomplish their political goals and you know they're willing to flout democratic norms to achieve with what they want uh eric and i know really no longer really think it's reasonable to expect that people like that can be reasoned with we've and if you follow our you know personal social media accounts you'll see sort of how we were reacting in the moment to it and it was you know with with some degree of of shock so we're trying to actively think about what Reconsider's role should be, is going to be in the post-Capital Siege era of American politics. So we'd be interested in having a discussion with you. Uh, if you want to have a discussion with us, come, come find us on our uh, Facebook group pages.
3: I'm going to start by quoting Mitt Romney about a moment in the United States— that will be a watershed in the same way that 9-11 was. He said, quote, We gather today due to a selfish man's injured pride and the outrage of his supporters, whom he has deliberately misinformed for the past two months and stirred to action this very morning. What happened here today was an insurrection incited by the President of the United States Those who continue to support his dangerous gambit by objecting to the results of a legitimate Democratic election will forever be seen as being complicit in an unprecedented attack on our democracy. They will be remembered for their role in this shameful episode in American history. That will be their legacy. Such were the words of Mitt Romney, Republican senator from Utah, regarding whether senators in you know, the United States Senate should object to uh, the vote counts in one or more states during the certification process, which reconvened after the siege. And one of the, you know, what's funny is if you go look back at Wedge, you have all this, you know, we, we quote all these like sensational political grandstanding quotes. You know, I remember Nancy Pelosi saying in 2014, or yeah, in 2014, that if the Republicans won the Senate, civilization as we know it would be at risk. And, uh, you know, there was nothing in 2014 to make us think that civilization would be at risk with the Republicans having control of the Senate. Um, And so we live in this age of sensationalism and hyperbole for political points and political power. And in this age of sensationalism, words like insurrection and coup, we might be numb to those, right? We might be, we might hear that and go, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, insurrection, president tried to launch a coup. And we want to dig deeper into what happened, not the, not the series of events and facts, um, not building a timeline, but defining what happened. Right? Is there was there a coup? Was there, in fact, an insurrection? Was there sedition? So, what we're what we're going to do is is spend a little bit of time with those questions to help us sit and think about what the people who siege the capital and the people who egged them on to do so really did to this country.
1: Yeah, and I think. Over the last several years, we have more often than not found ourselves in the situation where we're saying, that is sensationalist rhetoric. Hold on a minute. Let's look at what's really going on. And oftentimes, it wasn't as bad as the rhetoric claimed. But certainly, at least for me, I know by the end of this ep- episode, you'll, I, I hope to convey to you why this is not only as bad as many people are saying it is, but potentially worse um, in ways that maybe some some folks haven't thought of yet, um, this is really a, an awful moment in our history. So we're going to look, we're going to walk through the definitions of all of these acts and, and basically see how what the siege on the Capitol checks all the boxes. Um. So, Eric, can you kick us off here? So one of the one of the things we
3: need to think about is, you know, often what Reconsider does is it takes. It takes something that there are two partisan narratives about, and it says, and we say, okay, let's provide some context around what's really going on. Um, how are the partisan narratives being spun in order to, you know, get political points or, or rally the base, right? Stuff that we talk about in Wedge. And there hasn't been enough time for a whole lot of that. You know, people have attempted some spinning um, we're certainly not getting our convention, you know, with the capital siege, we're not getting the conventional, uh, the conventional, just Republicans say one thing, Democrats say another thing, spinning um, that you'd normally get. You know, a lot of Republicans are are horrified by this and, and uh, having, you know, having perhaps a moment of reckoning that we'll see if that happens long term. So is it, you know, is it the case that the vast majority of Americans are all sitting here horrified and thinking, "Holy smokes, this has crossed a line." Like we talked about Rubicon on the last episode, right? <laughs> and uh, we we are we are not Nostradamus. We didn't we didn't see something like this coming, but we talked about a Rubicon. We talked about a moment of no return. And have we now reached it? Because we were talking at the end about how to how to come back before it happens. And are Americans worried that we've crossed a Rubicon? Are most Americans worried crossed a Rubicon? I don't know, but some of the scuttlebutt that we that we've been hearing as we've been looking around, again, not from the sort of like QAnon conspiracy group of the United States, but from you know conservatives that might be feeling defensive, is you know is is the capital siege comparable to just like the the riots that occurred during some of the black lives matter protests where stuff got burned down. A lot of stuff got smashed and stolen. You know, you can put pictures side by side of people smashing windows, right. And say, Hey, you know, they did it. They, for some definition of they, was this just a surge of passion, right. Where people kind of got out of hand and just formed a mob or was it premeditated? And, you know, as much as all these people who stormed the Capitol broke, broke a number of laws. Like that 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 is unarguable. You know, to what extent are the people who talked to them beforehand, including the president, complicit or responsible or even criminal? There's probably going to be some debate about that. You know, it's probably hard to think that the guy you just voted for, you know, committed insurrection against the United States. And so so that's I think where Some of the we're going to see some of the partisan positioning sort of sort of like, you know, the dig in occur uh, around questions such as that. This is a bit of speculation on my part, but we'll be going in, like walking through, answering some of these questions. Was it premeditated? Are the people who talked to the writers beforehand, you know, for months beforehand, including that morning for maybe years beforehand, how responsible are they? And what does the law say about this? Um, And, and then with that context, let you go think about, uh, you know, what you think should happen next.
1: So let's start with the idea of premeditation. Um, And I have now described uh, recurringly online that this is uh, an event of premeditated violence against the state. So that, Let's just get one thing straight at the top here. The president has been completely transparent about his multiple attempts to illegally, therefore criminally, overturn what has been a valid election verified repeatedly by several bodies. There is no evidence that any any sort of improprieties existed to any sort of scale at all. And in, in Arizona, there are zero uh, um, fraudulent ballots found. Uh, so... This mob that showed up to the Capitol had planned far in advance, and this is provable far beyond a reasonable doubt because there's lots of evidence out there. Just to start, you can look at what people were wearing at the event. The full tactical gear with zip ties, people came with guns, people came with shirts that said Civil War, Jan 6, 2021. Uh, So people in this mob were flagrant in their display of Premeditation, and then subsequently, many, many of them, the violence that followed in their enjoyment in that violence.
3: And Trump himself, you know, has been very clear that at every opportunity, regardless of the facts, regardless of the evidence, regardless of process or law or reality, that he was going to do everything in his power, right? This is where we were talking about the breakdown of Most My Arm. What happens after Most My Arm? people use all the power that they have without constraint to get what they want. And so the president has been trying to use all the power he has without constraint to get what he wants, regardless of the fact that he clearly lost the election. Even before the election, he was saying, you know, there's going to be mass fraud, definitely going to be mass fraud. And then when the election was going down, he said, stop counting the votes, right? He was ahead and the mail-in votes hadn't been counted. He's just, he, was very clear repeatedly on TV, on Twitter, I want you to stop counting. Why? Well, because if you stop counting now, I'm ahead, right? Not out of any, you know, he didn't even try to pretend that there was a legal reason to stop counting. It's just that he wanted it, so he demanded it. Before the election, he demanded that Joe Biden be thrown in jail he demanded it of Bill Barr he told the world on tv that he demanded it of bill barr and that he was mad at bill barr for not throwing biden in jail why because biden could beat him right because biden could defeat him and unseat him from power and then after the election the the counting process continued despite the president's demands he of course declared that it just so happened that every state that he lost in 2020 that he won in 2016, uh, regardless of whether the, the state government was Republican or Democrat, was infiltrated by Democrats. And, you know, his lawyers were saying communists and Hugo Chavez, despite him being dead and Antifa, had infiltrated all of these states and stuffed ballots or mucked with counting machines or all sorts of wild stuff. Right that and of course, it's just what the President has done since he started running for election, which is just toss out lies and make everyone and and do it like a machine gun and make everyone else run around and try to prove him wrong. And as they do that, he just he just says more. So he you know so he, he's, of course, been propagating this idea that the election was stolen, that there was fraud, that the Democrats committed a coup by stealing an election. And a lot of people believed it. And of course, there isn't evidence, and he knows there's no evidence, but he wants to stay in power. So he's been willing to do that. So, of course, the president has been completely transparent about his intent to, through illegal means, try to stay in power, also known as a coup.
1: Right. And so he's been laying this groundwork for a long, long time. There's clear signs of premeditation, of challenging the elections regardless of the result and then um there were, have there have been lots of uh he, starting at least in december the the actual act of the insurrection on january 6th he started uh actively coordinating and organizing it and we'll, we'll get to the coordination aspect in a little bit but the point is this event itself as well as his plan to challenge the election was premeditated um, when you're talking about murder cases, premeditation matters a good deal because it speaks to intent. So I, I think that's beyond question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we need, even need to be careful about just using the word "challenge" the election
3: because I feel like challenging the election, like there, there is a legitimacy to that, right? There are, there are, you know, there are, there are, leg- there are reasons someone might want to challenge the current vote total, right? Like the established vote total, it's it's twelve to six. And someone may say, hey, I want to challenge that. I'm worried about this thing that went down. Seems like it may have miscounted. Right. Completely legitimate decision that someone can make and and people have in the past. This is just this is a challenging an election. This is ignoring the election um, and wanting to like wanting to find some way to stay in power despite losing the election. Um, I don't know what the proper word for it is, but I just want to you know, I, I know that like, again, we're usually the ones who are saying use less. Uh, less abrasive language, but I, you know, I think it's worth being. And I, I know it's not what you meant, Sandra, but I think it's worth being very clear that, you know, legal challenges to whether something was counted correctly is one thing, but this is this is of an entirely different category.
1: Yeah, if it walks like a dog and talks like a dog, right? right? Um, No, I think you're right. I think I don't know exactly what to call it, but you know, lie about the outcomes of the election to seize power is certainly one one option. Now, we've established premeditation. Let's look at a couple of definitions for some of the words that we've now been using that other folks have been using. And Eric, at the top of the episode, you mentioned that, you know, with all the po- politicized rhetoric over the last couple of years, we may have become numb to some of these words now. And in part, that's why we've encouraged not using sensational rhetoric. When when it doesn't apply to the circumstance, so that the gravity of what they actually mean uh, hits home at the moment.
3: If only there was some old fable that literally everyone knew that warned us (laughs) not to do this. If only
1: that was the case, we wouldn't be here. So let's go piecemeal. Um, Let's look at the word insurrection. And we're looking – I'm not an attorney. Uh, Eric did a lot of research for this. I did some research for this. We're looking at U.S. Legal Code 18 – So for insurrection, whoever incites, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States.
3: So luckily we have a definition of insurrection that says don't commit insurrection. So we actually have to go a little deeper <laughs> here, unfortunately, because US Code 18 does not define insurrection, which means you know it's self-referential, which means that we we um I just decided to go to find law, uh, which, you know, legal like law students can use for their for their uh assignments. And um and so this is not like super official in some way, um, but fine law is made by lawyers. And this definition existed before the capital insurrection. So, you know, so it's it's not been made afterward to make them look bad. Um, so fine law about, find law, F-I-N-D, we've got a link, says, quote, rebellion and insurrection refer specifically to acts of violence against the state or its officers. This distinguishes the crime from sedition which is organized incitement to rebellion or civil disorder against the authority of the state. It also separates the crime from treason, which is the violation of allegiance owed to one's country by betrayal or acting to aid the country's enemies. So, violence against the state or its officers.
1: Hmm. Yeah, if, if the capital of the United States doesn't represent the state... I don't know what does. (laughs) (laughs) And there was damage done to the state building. And then, of course, there was the the physical harm posed immediately to state officials, our elected representatives. They were forced to evacuate. Seems pretty clear that by pretty much any definition of whatever you call the mob storming Congress, they were engaged in insurrection. Right. And and maybe someone, maybe someone could
3: try to find something and say like, well, you know, none of the, uh, none of the Congress people actually got hurt. It's like, well, yes. And it's because while they were being evacuated, I believe it was secret service. There were guys in suits rather than tactical gear. I've seen the video of this. Um, the, uh, the air force vet who got shot and killed, I forget her name, but I don't really don't care the reason she got shot and killed was because there were a bunch of secret service agents who had drawn a line at the door to i believe the senate chamber and so these doors were closed uh the rioters had smashed through the windows and they pulled out guns and started pointing at these folks and said basically f off like don't come any further and this lady who's Who's like living in some fantasy world that everything that like they're just gonna let her go through tries to climb through again going into the house chamber and she's shot right and then of course, you know unfortunately because the, there's all all sorts of all sorts of problems <laughs> trying to get e m s through all that mess to her she dies you know and again you had people in there with weapons there were there was a truck outside full of weapons yeah there was at least one dude running around with these zip tie uh cuffs right so it's not just zip ties it's zip tie cuffs designed for the police mm. to handcuff people um so so there were so among the mob i think one of the things we need to be clear about is like among the mob the thing about mobs is that it's a bunch of people and they all start having this mob mentality. Um, and so, was everyone in the mob committing premeditated insurrection? Good question. Probably not. Probably not everyone who happened to go, because some people just milled around, right? But were a number of the people in the mob committing premeditated insurrection? Looks very much like it. Was everyone in the mob committing? You know the legal definition of
1: insurrection, probably. Probably. Now, what about for the president? Um, Again, because at least for the case of him, we can't establish it for every person in that crowd. But he clearly there was premeditation on his part, planning this event. He was actively involved in organize organizing the rally and subsequently inciting the insurrection itself. That still might mean he gets off. You know, that's the that's the world we live in, but. His jury will be the Senate, and Republican senators, um besides Romney, who had been speaking out about Trump long before this, uh Republican senators are now beginning to talk openly about potentially supporting uh an impeachment trial that would implicate Trump in insurrection. Uh such as Sass Murkowski. Is that how you pronounce his name? Sass? Sassy. Apologies. Yeah.
3: Sassy. Ben Sassy. Yeah. So um so yeah, uh Pelosi Pelosi is well, Pelosi didn't didn't draft these, but is having a vote over articles of impeachment that include inciting an insurrection against the United States government. So there was one. Trump had whipped folks up. We're gonna actually quote Trump and a few of his lackeys later about stuff that they said leading up to this, um, that that led it to happen, right? And it's certainly the case that this would not have happened if trump had not convinced a whole bunch of people that the democratic party with antifa and communists and dead hugo oh. chavez's ghost um and all sorts of other stuff were were attempting to commit a coup and steal the election <laughs> and eject him from office it right. pretty fucking <laughs> funny <laughs> yeah I, I
1: oh mean, just, god
3: you can't make this stuff up right um and so you know and so i think like the The apologists for this, you know they they you can pick pictures of people just milling around being idiots, and at some point, when they got there and found that everyone was gone, right, all the people that they were coming after had already been evacuated, right, and they couldn't go find them because they didn't know where they were. yeah, of course they started milling well, maybe not of course, If they were smarter people, they'd have said, maybe it's time to go, but a lot of the people in that crowd were clearly not all that bright and decided to mill around and get selfies taken of themselves and post them on social media, and now they're going to jail.
1: And now a lot of those people have begun to clean their social media accounts because they realize that they've been implicated in in crimes. Yeah, well, uh, as you might be able to tell us,
3: Xander, um, from your work on privacy, uh, how likely is it that the FBI is constantly uh, making you know, cloud save, like cloud saves of whatever's on social media on a given day so that if you clean it up later, the evidence still exists. Like, how, how likely is that? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it, here's my thing on that. The, the, the probability or the, the chance that those photos are not backed up somewhere is 0%. I mean, keep in yeah. mind also that they were storming the Capitol. There's probably like 8,000 cameras on that building, and they all back yeah. up to cloud instantaneously. Um, I bet that there yeah. is video proof of every single person that went into the Capitol. Um, through social yep. media and and through that, but the thing is, like, so few people were arrested. Like, I know that proof exists, but whether or not they'll be prosecuted, um, concerns me. Um, but yeah, that uh, the state yeah. knows who is in there. If you were there, there's a video of you. Yeah, I
3: they're they're clearly going. Cl- clearly, the prosecutors in D.C. are going going after folks. How many of them will be rounded up? Good question. I remember having a conversation actually about the Portland riots because they were, they got, they got to the level of riots, certainly, uh, as well as was it, um, Chaz, I believe, um, you know, when the, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, yeah, Chaz just sounds, I know it just sounds like, sounds like a, sounds like a guy from Jersey Shore. You know, someone was like, why didn't when they when they when the police showed up in force, why didn't they just arrest everyone? And it turns out it's a de-escalation technique to try to end a riot first to not try to arrest everyone, because then it turns into chaos. Like if you you, it's sort of like it's sort of like when you've won a battle, like let the enemy retreat. It's an art of war thing. So that is one possible explanation for this. I don't you know, there's going to be so many. we, We have this in the notes later, but Congress is. Congress is going to spend a lot of time over the next few years having hearings about how the F did this happen um, and some heads are going to roll. And and so I think we'll learn a lot more. I think a lot of people want to jump to conclusions pretty quickly, um, you know, because they're upset, which is understandable. You know, and of course, then you have a you have a part of the, the country that's like kind of decided all cops are bastards and therefore looking for, you know, the looking for this as a way to say that, that the cops are, you know, still bastards. And, um, what actually happened? I, I think it's too early to tell, but, or wait, like, what is the, sorry, what's the story behind what happened for the Capitol police? I think it's too early to tell. I'm now getting ahead of myself because we actually have a whole section on the Capitol police.
1: Yeah. So I, I'll come back to the Capitol Police thing because that is clearly an important part that we're going to talk about. But so we've talked about now the definition of insurrection and established premeditation. Um, let's talk now about the word sedition. So the conspiracy to sedition occurs if two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject to the jurisdiction of the United States conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by Force the government of the United States or to levy war against them, or to oppose by force the authority thereof, or by force to prevent, hinder, or delay the execution of any law of the United States, or by force to seize, take, or possess any property of the United States contrary to the authority. <laughs> Thereof, uh, they shall each be fined under this title or imprisoned, <laughs> not more than twenty years or both. <laughs> I mean, it's in the definition, right?
3: <laughs> right, right. So, you know, so the I mean the guy who sort of even by this definition, the guy who carried off Nancy Pelosi's lectern, that's technically sedition. But in particular, you know, that part that part is only so interesting, but you know, he's he's just so effed. But You know, there's a there's a clear part here. Oppose by force, the authority of the United States. And guess what? Senate has the authority to, I don't know, certify an election. Right. And so they used force to try to oppose that authority. Uh, And even if you're like, well, maybe not that prevent, hinder or delay the execution of any law of the United States. Right. They were pretty thorough. And, um, you know, the Constitution is one of the laws of the United States. And the Constitution says this thing has to happen. And they used force to uh, prevent, delay, uh, and hinder. Right. And so everyone involved in here, again, not a lawyer, but my read, it's pretty clearly sedition. Right. So why, again, why are we laying into this so thick? We're talking about, we're talking about these like big deal crimes, right. Um, these like big deal crimes against the nation, right. Against our own country, such as insurrection and sedition. and. You know, and so the conspiracy part is important because it's pretty clear the people that storm the Capitol uh, are, you know, they're going to have a hard time. You know, they, I, I don't want to be their defense attorney trying to get them off a sedition charge. Um, but let's talk about the president. Right. So let's go back to the beginning of this. If two or more persons in any state or territory or in any place subject, blah, 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 conspire to overthrow, put down uh, or yeah, fine, conspire to. So. um so what needs to be true here uh, is any evidence from anyone that the president hoped that this would happen by doing what he did, right? By by having his inflammatory speech at in the beginning. And unfortunately for President Trump, he doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut, right? Fortunately for the rest of us, he doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. And and how do we know he doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut? Literally when, um, God, I forget the name of the author, Bob something. Um, the guy who does presidential biographies, right? Trump knew he was being recorded and told this guy, Yeah, I lied about the coronavirus. Right. And then when it got out, he was like, Oh my gosh, how could you have done such a you know, it's just like um, you know, and he's also been caught like on tape calling, you know, calling the Secretary of State of Georgia and saying, you know, you need to find me however many thousand votes, right? And and trying to bully him into it. So the guy you know, um, there are going to be subpoenas about this and we're probably going to hear it. It would, it would, how's this? It would surprise me if at no point did the president say, boy, I hope that the people, right. My people help me out in some way here that they do something to, to, you know, help keep me in power. Um, And then it would be
1: clear conspiracy. Let's see. What's the next word we're going through? Treason. Uh, So here's the definition of treason according to that same legal code. Whoever, owing allegiance to the United States, levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere, is guilty of treason and shall suffer death. Or shall be imprisoned not less than five years and fined under this title, but not less than ten thousand dollars. Very specific, and shall be incapable of holding any officer un- or sorry any office under the United States. Yeah. So, uh, it doesn't seem like treason. I-, I mean, unless you call the siege an act of war, which I guess you could. Well. In-
3: In particular, the way that con uh-huh. law has gone down is that war has to be waged by okay. um, another state or another nation, country, uh, and an enemy has to be a foreign power. Um, and so that's why uh, the the league, you know, in the Civil War. Yeah, it's called a war, but but it was an insurrection. The way that it was dealt with legally by Washington was an
1: insurrection. Um, but then, who owes allegiance uh, to citizens. the United States? Besides people who are citizens. So then how could a foreign adversary wage war and also be committing treason it's, if they must be a um, citizen?
3: You can, so a citizen could go join ISIS. And oh, then you're committing
1: okay. treason. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, maybe not treason, probably not treason. It, um, it, it's
3: not going to be, I I think, from what I know about. I don't know, think he'll be um, found
1: guilty as treason, yeah.
3: Yeah. And so and so by the legal definition of treason, he's not a traitor because there has to be some sort of external enemy. You have to you have to give up the United States to someone outside the United uh-huh. States as opposed to as opposed to like try to, you know, try to uh you know try to try to stage a coup and keep power. So it's not it's it's not going to be treason. That's a word that if people are bandying around, like you can kind of understand why. Uh, but it would, but unlike things like sedition and insurrection, probably not. You know, probably right.
1: definitionally the wrong kind of crime. So, like Benedict Arnold, who who betrayed his country to an enemy force that that's Correct. he was a traitor. He committed treason.
3: Got yeah. it. Okay. Rosenberg's traitors. Yeah.
1: yeah. So is it a coup? Well, uh, we grabbed the definition from uh, Wikipedia. In this case, it's not from the legal code, but.
3: Well it's, be- well, it's because there's no law
1: right and there's this. been in in the in the right. realm of yep. international affairs in the last couple of days there have been lots of articles written about how this is a coup and lots of articles written about how this is a coup and um I don't know i i'm I'm quite on the fence about how how important definitions like this matter uh because on the one hand, I do think it's important to label things appropriately so that you understand like the concepts. That, that underlie that word, uh, if you're going to try to, again, understand like, what's causing something and what can come from it. Uh, but on the other hand, I feel like sometimes it gets pretty damn pedantic and academic, so I don't really know. Anyways, here's the, here's the read from Wikipedia. A coup or coup d'etat is the removal of an existing government from power, usually through violent means. Typically, it is an illegal, unconstitutional seizure of power by a political faction, military, or a dictator. Now, in this case, the illegal part is interesting um in in part because, as we've already talked about with uh uh sedition and insurrection, there's a pretty good case for uh this this entire event being <laughs> extremely illegal um what I, <laughs> I mean it's so illegal uh, uh but so in addition to that, it seems like there were a few things that Trump wanted people to do that were so also illegal. definitely illegal in order to keep himself in power. Um, including but not necessarily limited to, um, and Eric already talked about this, but uh, bar arresting Biden for no particular reason, uh, <laughs> calling the Secretary of State of Georgia, uh, and this entire call is recorded. I invite you to listen to the full thing uh, if you're feeling, you know, particularly spunky some afternoon. Um, and Trump telling the Secretary of State of Georgia to quote find enough votes to give Trump the election. Uh And then also insisting very publicly that uh, Vice President Pence use power that he does not constitutionally have, so illegal, to reject the certification of Biden's win. Uh, So even if uh, the definition doesn't need to be violent, it it seems pretty provable that um, Trump was transparently trying to stage a coup. Uh, If it does include violence, then I think— His implication in the insurrection bit also counts as violence because there's violence in that definition. Um, But what about the Capitol Police, Eric?
0: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you.
3: Try to stage a coup, or in the sense of I'm trying to take power from the person who is legitimate power, right? Which in this case would be Biden in the future, um, you know, future Joe Biden in, on January 20th uh, through legal means and using violence. Sounds like a coup to me, right? Now it was a, it was an incompetent coup, right? Like it's not like the coups, um, and that's I think where we need to talk about the Capitol Police, you know, like. You, normally you have a coup such as in uh in Turkey, where the military got involved, right? You had a faction in the military that was going to use force to remove Erdogan from power and they failed. Um, but in this case, Trump was like Trump's mechanism for committing a coup was screen publicly that he wanted, you know, among other things, right? Like call people and say, give me votes. Or scream publicly and privately at Pence that, I just don't want you to certify it. Just don't do it. Yeah. Right? And it's still a coup, even if it's incompetent. And I think that's one of the things we have to keep in mind about Trump, is that it, in some ways it doesn't seem as serious because he's so incompetent, right? And his efforts have been so, like, so ham-fisted and childish um, and and incompetent. That in in a way, I think that's almost why this surprised the Republicans, because they're so used to Trump wailing and whining and, and again, transpa- just saying, oh, I'll just arrest Biden, right? And, you know, luckily Barr didn't do it. And the Republicans kind of said, ah, you know, that's just Trump, right? But that's, you know, that's bad. <laughs> it's, it's real bad. Um, and so... And so Trump got away with doing all these bad things, in part because they were so kind of embarrassingly ham-fisted that nobody really thought he was a threat, is
2: my guess.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, you already emphasized this, but I want to reemphasize it. Just because uh, a coup is unsuccessfully carried out does not mean that it wasn't a coup (laughs) or an attempted coup, which is the thing that you would be found illegal of if hopefully you don't succeed, right? right? You're still guilty of committing the act. So this was a miserable failure for Trump and his supporters, Um, but that doesn't mean that they didn't still break all these laws and uh, stage a coup and commit insurrection and sedition.
3: So um, the reason – there's a couple of reasons we want to bring up the Capitol Police. And one of them, the most important one, is speaking of coups and incompetence, um, there's a Business Insider article. The headline is, quote, some among America's military allies believe Trump deliberately attempted a coup and may have had help from federal law enforcement officials. Now, that's a little scary on its own, even if it's not true. We've reached this point that, you know, our own allies are thinking, whoa, holy smokes, there was an attempted coup in the United States, and possibly. And this is, this is again, because of Trump's incompetence, the scary part is, did he have you know, federal authorities, law enforcement officials with power, with guns, with the ability to commit violence, you know, at, at scale on his side. And so you get these videos, you get these videos showing Capitol Police, uh, like opening gates and letting people kind of move from one place outside to another. And I think there are, there are, I know there are people who say, well, that's an obvious sign that the Capitol Police literally opened the door to let people in and i i want to know what happened with that gate thing was it was it supposed to happen were they trying to you know were there enough people that were trying to get people to spill over into another gated area somehow were they were they intentional you know this is the part of the complicitness were they intentionally standing aside to let people get in if so again kind of what was their what was their plan so like from the from another angle like if the Capitol police as a group were trying to stage a coup, it was also, you know, somewhat incredibly incompetent, but, um, you know, what was their, what was their intent in say opening this gate or what was their intent in at some point standing aside? Um, now there's other video that shows the Capitol police fighting and pushing and fighting and pushing and fighting and pushing, and then finally letting go, um, and sort of giving in and, then starting to run many of them. Um, Some of them got in fistfights with Trump supporters. One of them got trampled nearly to death. And so there's sort of depending what you cherry pick, what video you cherry pick right now, it either looks like the Capitol Police were really trying to help or just doing nothing or fighting and got overwhelmed. So I think the short version on the Capitol Police is the only reasonable position is we don't know what's going on. And there's going to be plenty of investigations into what the Capitol Police's role in this is, and and we'll find out. We'll find out then and there. We also talked about you know when they were pushing the mob out after they got them out of the Capitol, and then we're pushing them during curfew. There weren't a lot of escalate or uh, arrests there because that seems to be somewhat standard practice. It happened in Portland, it happened in Seattle. We go arrest people later. So long story short, I think on the Capitol Police, we just don't have enough evidence to know what their deal was and what their plan was. But one of the claims that the Capitol Police had was that they were woefully understaffed and under supported. So that's their current, their current position is that they were just you know, like unsupported and unprepared. Now we knew that this was going to happen, right? We knew there was going to be this rally and the mayor of DC was quite concerned about it. And there's also this, like, really good photo that stands in contrast that during the Black Lives Matter protests, you had all these guys covered in camo and assault rifles um, standing, you know, at the Capitol uh, in force, in discipline. Um, And why weren't those folks in camo and ARs there for Trump's rally? Xander. So why wasn't that? Why weren't those camo-covered military dudes standing at the Capitol during Trump's rally on the 6th when they were there for the Black Lives Matter protests? There's a simple reason why. There's only one person in the United States who has the authority to deploy those folks, known as the National Guard, to D.C. Do you know who that person is, Xander? I'm guessing it's the president. It's the president. Right. And so if you think about it, it's actually a really simple explanation. No conspiracy necessary during the Black Lives Matter protests, which Trump's like, oh, it's all Antifa. They're going to try to burn the place down. Right. Deploy the National Guard, make sure everything's safe. Show law and order. When it's his own people, we all know, regardless of whether you tr- support Trump or not, you know that when it's his own people. Right. Law and order. Doesn't count for them, and we're not going to deploy the National Guard. We're going to let them do whatever they want. This is going to be part of the evidence of whether sedition was premeditated to try to minimize, you know, was Trump intentionally trying to minimize the amount of law enforcement during this rally um, in order to give his people more, you know, his supporters more leeway. Um, we do know that the DC mayor requested from the president that uh on by the fourth, by the fourth of January, so by by two days beforehand, um, the Associated Press had published that the DC mayor had requested the National Guard um, be present, and Trump said no. So later, the National Guard shows up. And why is this? Um, what's interesting is we actually have some evidence, uh, or and it's it's linked. It's actually uh, it's someone in the Maryland National Guard or State Guard uh, tweeting about this. Um, saying that Governor Hogan of Maryland was watching this unfold and calling the National Guard and saying, go in, and the National Guard saying, we don't have the authority, we can't do it. We're trying to get the authority right now. It normally comes from the Secretary of Defense. What's interesting is 90 minutes later, uh, it was the Secretary of Army that called and said, you have the authority, go do it. Um, and they actually hesitated for a hot second and said, can the secretary of the army do that? You know what? We'll find out later. Let's go. Like we've got someone in the cabinet, his name, you know, his army on his name saying we can do this. Let's go. Uh, there are, you know, this is one of those like sources in the white house say, and this has been published. We've got, uh, we've got a link to it. Sources in the white house say that during that 90 minute period, uh, part of what happened was Pence was being <laughs> evacuated. Trump was saying, nah, we don't need the National Guard. It's fine. So imagine Trump, like, imagine because it's true. Trump is in the White House. And the thing he's literally doing at this time, uh, and we have a recording of this, he's trying to call Tommy Tuberville um, from Alabama to pressure Tommy Tuberville into objecting. And he ends up calling someone else instead. I forget who it was, but it's another senator. The senator has published uh, the, the message. And it's during the Capitol siege. That's what Trump's doing. He's saying, no need for National Guard. I'm going to take this time and make sure that I get as many objectors as possible. Pence finally gets evacuated, gets over to the white house and says, call the effing national guard. Let's go. Um, And ends up pressuring Trump (laughs) into actually doing it because only Trump can make that call. My speculation is that Pence threatened Trump with the 25th amendment uh, because, you know, Pence was sitting there saying we have to get this under control. Trump said, no, it's fine. And Pence needed some leverage. And now they don't get along after all of this, of course. But it was, I mean, it's, it's absolutely wild. Um, but that seems to be, it seems to just be sort of Trump's whim, which is why, like, if if we ask why was D.C. so unprepared for this, it's because Trump decided they should be unprepared,
1: it seems to
3: be the answer.
1: Yeah. And so, again, you, you think about the question of premeditation and it is all easily confirm- confirmable. We already mentioned this, the rally had been advertised for weeks, um, and Trump and Trump's representatives uh, repeatedly encouraged the use of violence both before the rally and at it. And I just want to read a couple of quotes to you. This one is from Trump himself uh, talking to Newsmax, so before the rally. And he said, quote, the bottom line is uh, the court is saying, we're not going to touch this. You have no remedy. So basically, in effect, and this is Trump talking The ruling would be that you got to go to the streets and be as violent as Antifa. So if the court rules away, our only remedy is violence. He says it explicitly. Uh, And then, of course, you go (laughs) all the way back to the debates back in November. It feels like a lifetime ago when he told uh, what we now know is a militia group that was implicated in insurrection against the U.S. government to, quote, stand back and stand by. And, like, you can play semantics games, but it's very clear that he was issuing direct orders to a militia group. That was, and they followed them. And they followed them.
3: That's that's the part where it really gets interesting. Because you can go, ah, he just said stuff. But then the Proud Boys showed up with weapons uh, and stormed the Capitol. So maybe he didn't just say stuff.
1: And he didn't try to prevent them. He went out of his way to not call the National Guards. He, so, yeah. Okay, well, what about so that's that's Trump? what about the people that are have surrounded Trump and enabled him? Was there clear coordination by him with uh, other Republican leaders and this again is speaking to the issue of premeditation and again the answer is yes uh the the mob was not acting without coordination uh, Republican leaders had been actively uh involved before, and some were actively encouraging violence again explicitly the day of the insurrection. So we'll start in the lead up to it. First, Trump was organizing this at least as of December 19th publicly. He started tweeting about holding a rally and kept promoting until it happened. So he was planning it. And then uh, Trump's son at the rally, and you know um, I forget which one this is, but I think it was Don Jr. Anyways, he, someone who has been involved in, in President Trump's political operations said, quote, this isn't their Republican Party anymore. This is Donald Trump's If you're going to be the zero and not be the hero, we're coming for you, and we're going to have a good time doing it, clearly an overt threat. Uh, The crowd, you know, subsequently followed his orders and began marching on the Capitol. Rudy Giuliani, uh, Trump's advocate, uh, has this now-famous line about trial by combat and how, you know, that's how this should now be settled. Again, explicit violence. Uh, And then Representative Mo Brooks, A Republican said at the rally that, quote, today is the day American patriots start taking names and kicking ass. And, you know, Eric, like you said a minute ago, if there were just some other world and nothing happened, then you can kind of just argue that, oh, well, you know, kicking ass, whatever, people say stuff like that. But then they went to the Capitol and assaulted it. So it seems like a clear incitement of violence. Yes, some
3: some boots did find some asses then. And that's the thing, right? You, even if, like, this is, in part why we have things like manslaughter, right? So if you shoot a gun in the air, right? And a bullet kills someone, you're guilty of manslaughter. And you go, oh, I didn't mean to. I was just shooting a gun in the air. It's like, well, it's criminally dangerous behavior that ended up killing someone. And is this, even if, you know, even if, if somehow, if somehow in your mind, you're thinking, well, these people weren't, super explicitly it's not obvious that they were super explicitly intentionally trying to get this mob to use violence to storm the Capitol. is it not shooting a gun in the air and a bunch of bullets falling down on people and getting them hurt right um and is that not you know is that something that we should you know is that something that we should be excused so that's that's some of the stuff to think about and that's where you know that's why you can't cry fire in a public building if there's not a fire, right? Because as we now see in Technicolor, words have the power to hurt people, especially when they're spoken by uh, a president with a cult following. And the ingredients for this have been going into this pot for a long time, right? This wouldn't have happened if these people didn't believe very deeply that the election had been stolen and the Democrats had staged this coup, right? They, you know, they felt like they're, at least part of them felt like, because we're all very complex people, but a lot of, you know, at least part of them felt like they're fighting for, you're fighting against tyranny, fighting for freedom, liberate the United States from the evil Hugo Chavez communists. And, you know, that, that is part of what drove them, this belief. Um you know, and how much of that belief is kind of like rationally held and how much of it is just like a story that they build around their emotions and their anger and their you know their kind of weird attachment to to trump um you know i I do not have a window into people's souls um but this you know it it was this is clearly a consequence of months of what the president. And people around him, lawyers, some enablers, some other Republican, uh, some other elected Republican officials, his family members said, and it led to this. And we're now at this point where we can never not, we can never again, look, we can, you know, from, from here on in it will always be true that we have to say that a president of the United States incited an insurrection against its government in order to stay power in power after losing a legitimate election. That will be true forevermore. It, it, you can never take that off of the history books.
1: And that's where we are now. And all of this, well, not all of it, but... You know, the most recent incarnation of of this, the capital siege, has has just come from false claims of fraud, otherwise known as lies. And when you're deliberately spreading misinformation for political purpose to sway a large group of people uh, to do your bidding, it's propaganda. It's just been lies. And it's frustrating how transparent the lies have been. It really, I feel like if people were, you know, willing to spend Ten minutes googling the things that they find immediately sensational, we'd all be in such a better place. You know you wouldn't have a deep understanding of everything, but maybe you just you know double check something, but yeah. it's all been so transparent. you know, look at Trump calling Georgia and saying, "Find the fraud, find me the votes. This is all recorded it's It's an obvious admission that he knows that the election didn't go his way, but that he's trying to change it anyways any basically all of the lawsuits have been thrown out by judges. I think 60 out of 62 and the two wins were like about something that like really doesn't really matter yeah. in the long run. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these judges are judges that he appointed. So there's no argument that there's some liberal conspiracy amongst the judiciary. You can't argue that. And there's already not systems of investigations at multiple le- levels, federal levels, state levels, county levels. When, uh, allegations of voter fraud are launched and they have all run their due process. There has been fraud. Um, and in some cases, you know, the, the rate of fraud is even lower than it's been in the past. It was a remarkably successful election and this is something that's easily confirmable. Lies. That's how we got here.
3: I remember, I actually remember Lindsey Graham on Wednesday night because I, you know, I, I got a little distracted on Wednesday and spent a lot of time watching the news, which is actually something I tend not to do, like just for my own, you know, you might ask how I'm so informed. I go hunting for certain news, but I don't sit there and watch the news. Uh, it's, it's, I, I think it's just an unhealthy habit, you know, mentally, psychologically unhealthy, but I was watching the news that day and I watched the Senate reconvene. Um, this felt like a really momentous moment in our history. And I think it was. And I remember Romney's speech. and I remember Lindsey Graham's speech and Lindsey, you know, Romney was very, uh, you know, very clear, principled morals, a little bit of fire and brimstone Romney's way. Uh, and Lindsey Graham was like folksy and, you know, uh, and and just very practical to the, to the facts, to the point, and And that's his way. And I remember Lindsey Graham saying, Uh, I forget exactly which states he was saying, but he said, you know, in Wisconsin, uh, the claim is that 66,000 underage voters voted in the election. I said, show me 10 names. I've not gotten one. In some other state, you know, uh, 28,000 out-of-state ballots came in, or ballots came in from people who lived out of state. I said, show me 10 names. I've not gotten one. Right. It's the kind of what's interesting about these lies is that there's no corroborating evidence behind it. Um, But in the, but in the people that support Trump, the, the position that they have is that if Trump says it, it's true. And the, the, the burden of proof is on everyone else. And the hard part about the hard part about proving a negative, so Trump says there was fraud, and someone goes, great, okay, so there's fraud. Prove to me there's not, right? And and I know that, like, the minds of a lot of these folks are not even going this far, but prove to me that's not. It's like, well, how do I prove there's no fraud, right? We counted all the votes. We didn't find anything. It's like, well, there's fraud in there. You just haven't found it, right? Or, like, you didn't show me a thing, a concrete thing that says, ah, no fraud, other than a bunch of people ve- look looking through all the votes and saying, well, we didn't find anything. And the, that's what's, you know, Xander says, this is frustrating. I think that's, what's, what's dark and dangerous about this time that we live in, that we've had this four year period that in some ways is coming to an end in which Trump is both a symptom and now a cause. But but he's just—he's a—he's a particularly oblique step in this line, in which people are people are willing to abandon what doesn't support their current position. And I actually think what's really interesting is that for Trump's serious supporters, what they've abandoned is actually a really good uh, kind of painting of this process. Right, James Mattis, the Mad Dog every Trump supporter's favorite general when he was appointed and then James Mattis says something bad about Trump, he's a loser. Right. Uh, Lindsey Graham, right. Who had originally said all sorts of bad things about Trump. He's a xenophobic bigot. Right. And then became friends with Trump became very popular. And then because he didn't object, he got harassed at the airport. Mike Pence, Trump's number two guy. The only thing Mike Pence has ever done against Trump is not try to use power he does not have to blatantly and baldly steal the election. And now, trending on Twitter today, on the ninth, hang Mike Pence. And so what's, what's so... I think the thing that scares me most about this is that you have this large number of people that will immediately turn on heel and abandon. I mean, you know, what else did they abandon a long time ago? They abandoned caring about presidents and infidelity. They cared. They stopped caring about family values. They don't seem to mind that the president has 33 credible rape, rape and sexual assault allegations. They don't seem to mind the fact that he said on tape that I love sexually assaulting people and they let you get away with it when you're powerful. Right? Um so all these things that oh yeah, the the American national security uh and military institutions, right? They said, hmm, uh Russia seems to have hacked us." Trump's like, "No, they didn't." And you know, and Trump supporters like, "Yeah, it's prob- Trump's probably, right?" Right, Russia're the good guys. Um when Russia's been the bad guys in Republicans' minds for decades because in part because Russia're the bad guys. And so the the willingness to immediately and aggressively abandon all of these things that have been important to the Republican Party for a long time both the people who are you know like famous and beloved in the Republican Party and also like these principles that are important in the Republican Party is a sign that and again this is asymmetric it's it seems to be happening more among the Republicans that there is a way to just hack people's minds, right? And and put them on puppet strings. And if you've you've got whatever that weird mix is, right? Like people talk about this spell that Trump has over people. If you've got whatever that right mix is, you can get them to do and believe and say anything. And we saw that on Wednesday.
1: Yeah, we've talked about tribal flippage before on the show and I don't, I don't know if we've actually done a full show on, on this, but um, I know we've talked about it before. The idea that the, the moder- modern conservative, conservative party, so the, the Republican Party, modern conservatism, two of its like core identity characteristics are a belief in states' rights and the idea of individual responsibility. Keep out the government. We can do it on our own. And personally, I—I mean, you know me. I—I grew up on the coast, but half my family's from a pretty rural place, and I I grew up around lots of different folks who're all caring and loving. And I value conservatism a good deal. And I think a lot of people would would call me a traditional liberal, even though I've been called like you know capitalist pig by people on the left. But. I value conservatism because traditional conservatism is about recognizing that there is value in not changing things too quickly. And I think when you look through the analysis of history, you do find often that radical social change leads to disturbing, violent periods of time. And so that I think that the balance between attempting to change things too quickly and saying, hold on, just wait a second, is extraordinarily valuable. I value conservatism the republican party the modern republican party i don't think you can realistically argue is a conservative party in fact i think it is the most radical party right now and you can say well clearly there are different factions and the factions have become even more stark after the insurrection but nevertheless 70 million americans voted for trump um so it's it's a maybe it's a good deal of the republican party
3: well and he was the most popular Republican president among one's own party, except for Reagan, right? So he was wildly popular among Republicans. And, you know, I I think to say Trump took over the party is not unfair.
1: And to the extent that Trump himself represents the party, which, you know, we just read his son's quote the other a couple of minutes ago, he clearly thinks Trump is the Republican Party, the Republican Party is Trump's. There's nothing conservative about Trump; he is a radical. He is pushing for change so rapid that if you look back at prior periods of history, you see awful consequences come afterwards. The modern republican Republican party is no longer conservative; it's radical. that is a crazy tribal fl- yeah. flippage and that that's that that was one point. The other point is this issue of states' rights, which you know it's been around. The idea that conservatism in America values the the decentralization of power distributed among states and not held unduly in a single central state institute, it's been there since the beginning. Right. And now you have-
3: Many would argue argue they fought a war about it. You
1: could say so. And now you have the Republican Party advocating for the federal government to overturn the constitutionally mandated duties of the states. It's- crazy this has all happened in in an incredibly short period of time
3: yeah and you know we're at this we're at this point that again has a rubicon been crossed and we have to ask that question now because i think some people think oh like the zit has been popped finally right like you know, some a uh, few hundred or thousand people did something that was just so outrageous and so, you know, and and what's the basis of the term outrageous? Outrage, right? So outrage-inducing. That, um, I you know, so I, I think some people are going to sit there and say, okay, well, you know, now the Republican Party is going to walk back, and reasonable Republicans are going to take a stand finally, or maybe, right? As we can see. Even well, again, this is the night, this is three days afterward. Hang Mike Pence is trending on Twitter. And there are, oh gosh, I forget who published it, but long story short, there's uh, uh, the FBI is the FBI is telling news agencies that they're, they believe there's going to be more right wing violence um that there are you know on social media sites but you know they may mean 4chan right or or stuff like that parlor has been shut down but they may mean stuff like 4chan um that right wingers are planning to come in force to the inauguration and start camping out there the day before um and do what I, unclear other than other than try to disrupt um and so is it going to be worse before it gets better? Maybe, right? That's the thing about that's the thing about this momentum, right? People don't just shut off when they get that angry, they don't just turn it off. Um, you know, it's almost as if, you know, you made a monster with the hopes of being able to use it and then and then the monster's free and rampaging and you don't have control over it anymore. It's a real shame that there are not popular stories in our culture warning us. About creating monsters,
1: right? That was sarcasm. So. And here we are after this event happened. And I forget if it was day of, whether it was Wednesday or Thursday. But after the insurrection happened, you still had 147 House representatives ob- object, uh, ob- object to the 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 votes that that, that had already been cast and verified it repeatedly. There is no evidence of fraud, none even less than you would expect in a normal year. And that's just evidence that people are still already, quickly after this event happened, willing to continue to play politics and lie and continue this perception among Trump supporters that there was this mass fraud. This increases the risk of more violence.
3: Yeah, in particular because, you know, you, I've said this before on this show, Right. And so I'm not the only one who believes it, but but like it, it is a kind of model I have about about a citizen's duties. And I've said, there are four boxes you use in the defense of liberty. Soap, ballot, jury, ammo, use in that order. Right. And and all of a sudden I'm feeling like a fool for saying it. Because let's imagine you're a hardcore Trump supporter that has that same model in your mind. They use the soap box. They used the ballot box. They think it didn't work. Well, this ballot box didn't work, right? You can get what you wanted, but they think it should have worked. And so then a bunch of lawsuits happened, right? And, and you know, there were all these like procedures. There were all these mechanisms by which if, if you really believe that Trump should have won that election and that some mechanism in the United States democratic process should stop Biden from taking office on the 20th, we've now passed a point where you don't believe that there is no process left there's no step there's nothing short of violence to stop that from happening right and so how many people were holding back saying surely you know our our elected representatives will do the right thing because i believe that there's all this fraud um or surely the courts will do the right thing cuz i believe there's all this fraud you know and how many people have been convinced by the certification process that, oh, you know what, it probably was just a final, you know, how many people who believe that there was fraud have been convinced by this process that, oh, you know, actually it was probably fine. I was wrong this whole time. Trump was wrong this whole time, lying this whole time. Probably not many, but how many of them have said, okay, the system failed. What do we do now? Um, and so is there a, and, and and I think that's what's so frustrating about these, these House representatives, these 147 House representatives and seven senators raising objections to play politics because they still think it's a game, but they're fueling this idea that, yep, the system failed and the wrong person's president uh, because of fraud, because of a coup, because of cheating, um, and it's all just raw power now, right? What does that mean for most of my arm? What does that mean for being able to walk back from this? Again, I don't want to play No Shadamas here, but I have a bad feeling. There are a lot of people that plan that that are that are further radicalized by this rather than moderated, and, yeah. and plan to use violence.
1: Oh man, when the thing happened on Wednesday, I think I was just so focused on trying to get new information that I, I know it was hard to focus. But I was just I focused on on my on my work, but I was just only focused on this event, but and the days that followed i you know the shock kind of begins to wear off and and you think a little bit more about the implications and like i i've had people come to me and say oh well if you're shocked you weren't paying attention it's like okay like clearly there's a difference between you know joining the marines and being in boot camp and being told that you'll experience violence and then actually experiencing the violence itself experiencing this event was different than anticipating it. And and I don't think a lot of us anticipated that whatever happened on the 6th was going to be quite like this. So here, here's one of the scarier thoughts that's been swirling around in my head lately. Clearly, in order to try to get back to this idea that we actually have shared norms that respect due process and the peaceful democratic uh, transition of power – justice needs to be served. Criminals need to be tried in a court of law and if found guilty, go to jail. And if they're not guilty, then that's fine. This elects, and and this probably includes elected officials. Um, And there are different models for this. You know, there's the Colombian model, there's the South African model, but I, I, you know, let's say that that happens and people who deserve to meet justice do, and maybe even some current Republican leaders go to prison. Now, just hypothetically bear with me imagine a year in the future not too far in the future when the world has again changed dramatically a year ago from today where were you and could you have imagined the world today and let's say in that in that not too distant future the republicans have somehow reformed a governing coalition the split we're seeing is i i don't know solved somehow um how i don't know but you know this sort of things possible because the future is uncertain Now, do you think that the people who supported Trump, who are currently violently angry and will continue to be violently angry throughout the entire Biden administration, do you think they they will be less angry and less violent after uh, their leaders have been convicted? They'll see it, however wrong they are, as an escalation in this tit-for-tat political A cycle of political violence that we're seeing. And with the precedent set, even if the precedent is set in a just fair way in that people who deserve to meet justice do, that future party may escalate further and just start imprisoning political opponents that may have not committed any crimes or are not complicit in any obvious provable acts of insurrection. They just don't like them. And what so what scares me about this is that this future, uh, I want to be clear that I don't think this is the most likely scenario, um, but it seems exceedingly possible. Um, I don't know what that means, maybe 10%, maybe 15%. But if you would ask me two years ago, if I thought that would, was possible, I'd say, I mean, everything's possible, maybe a fraction of a percent. So like the the probability that something like this could happen in the near future, I think has gone up dramatically. And that scares me quite a lot. We're already on that dark road. It's no longer in front of us. The question is how far down it do we go? We need to do everything we can to stem this cycle of violence, but we also need criminals to face justice in order to reestablish norms. So how do we think about this trade-off? I don't know.
3: Yeah. I've actually read, uh, I've dipped back into General David Petraeus's counterinsurgency manual, right? Which is a never thought I'd be thinking about how it applies here. Um, a big part of counterinsurgency is denying support to the insurgents, right? So, you know, there are. It's one of the things we learned about radicalization is that de-radicalizing people, deprogramming people, is incredibly difficult and um, takes a lot of concerted effort. And, um, you know, you can often do it like when you have people in jail, if you like sit and talk to them long enough. But, um, you know, if they're just running around on their own on on 4chan and like reading Q, wonder know what's going to happen to Q after the 20th, but, you know, you don't have a lot, of, you know, that that's the f- that's the thing we've been talking about with this, with the fracturization of media for a long time is that you can put out as much truth as you want. You can put out as much salve and bomb as you want, but if people aren't in a place to consume it, right? They're listening to to Q and and 4chan and OANN and, you know, crazy Facebook groups. And they're just not paying attention to uh, facts or, or moderating messaging. um, It doesn't matter right? So broadcasting doesn't really, can't really solve the problem, at least to those folks, but the, you know, so, so can you de-radicalize the people that have been radicalized? Maybe not, you know, and there are, there are, you know, Xander mentioned the Colombian and South African models specifically because they were insurgencies um, that had to get dealt with. And the weird balance that you need to strike is that as part of counterinsurgency, you also do have to take off the board the people who are radicalizing individuals, right, and making the problem worse. And you have to take the, you know, take a lot of the radicals who are committing violence, you have to take them off the board, right? That means putting them in jail, which risks angering more people, but also you can't do nothing, right? It's not just about reestablishing norms, it's also about trying to um, you know, get this this cycle of radicalization under control, and and so how do we come back from this? You know, and that, and that that's I think the question everyone needs to be thinking about. Reconsider was all always about preventing a crisis. Well, we're here, and I don't. You know, we can't take it personally. We're two two dudes with microphones. And you can't take it personally either, dear considerates, but, but we failed, you know, those of us on the forces, you know, those of us who who are part of the forces of civility and, you know, just functionality and the Republic, you know, and its norms and its values have been dealt a blow. Um, We've not failed in the sense that it's all over, but we've had a failure uh, and a bad one. And so how do we come back from it? That's the stuff Xander and I are going to be thinking about. And those of you interested in thinking about it with us, uh, we'd love for you to reach out on the Facebook group. uh, Or if you're not willing to have that conversation in public, send us an email, hosts at reconsidermedia.com.
1: Stay safe, everyone.
0: United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
2: When you make decisions
1: for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.